I want to begin while you're turning there and tell you of this story. There was once an amazing physician, this great doctor, who is known for his ability to care and treat his patients. This physician would actually travel all around the region, and he would go from place to place, from town to town, treating the sick and healing anyone that he could. One day he entered a small village, and he encountered 10 people, and all of these 10 people actually had the same disease. They had this infectious, chronic illness that caused nerve damage, it caused numbness of the hands and the feet. It actually, over time, would cause your fingers and your toes to curl so that you could not extend your fingers or your toes any longer. It would cause things like vision loss and skin lesions. It's a terrible, terrible disease. And the 10 people who had this disease heard that this physician was coming to their town. And so they went immediately and begged this physician for help. They'd heard that he'd been able to help people before. And so, of course, this doctor treated them, and they actually were healed in an astonishingly fast manner. And these 10 people were healed, and then after they were healed, they went to the, went to the authorities, they showed themselves to be healed, and then this physician was waiting around, waiting for anyone to come back and tell him, thank you. And one of the people came back, just one, and he came back and said, Thank you for healing me. And this doctor looked at him, acknowledged his gratitude, and, and said, well, where are the others? Where are the others who are healed? Now, if that, if that story sounds a little familiar, it's because it comes from Luke chapter 17. And that great physician was actually Jesus. And Jesus healed 10 lepers. And of those 10 lepers who were healed, only one returned to Jesus to express gratitude. What we read about in Luke 17 is that in Jesus' time, there was a problem with showing gratitude. There's a problem with thanksgiving in Jesus' time. But I think if each and every one of us are honest with ourselves and honest with the world, as we look to the world around us, we would say that I think there's a problem with thanksgiving in our own day as well. Most, if not all, of us in this room just celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday. I just think to myself, what a tremendous grace it is for us to have a holiday of such practical importance. But in many ways, I think that this holiday that's reserved for gratitude has been hijacked. In some cases, it's been crowded out by competing desires. You think about Thanksgiving. I remember going to Thanksgiving meals growing up. And I remember maybe, I don't know, when I was eight, nine, ten years old. I don't really know when this phenomenon began. But this thing called Black Friday started. And it probably has existed longer than I can remember. But I remember that Thanksgiving would end and immediate plans to go and shop would ensue. And over the years, as we all know, those sort of dates or times that things get started have been progressively been crowding out Thanksgiving. In fact, just a few years ago, they began to have Black Friday actually begin on Thursday, the day of Thanksgiving, 7 p.m. You can go and you can forget about being thankful and you can fight someone tooth and nail to get that television for $98. It's this incredible deal, right? We'll do anything to get a deal. 
Thanksgiving began to be sort of crowded out by competing desires. Just a few years ago, there's a woman named Allison Hope. She wrote an article for CNN, and it was actually published on Thanksgiving Day. On Thanksgiving Day, she invited her readers to spend the day not being thankful. This one day a year that we have called Thanksgiving, she said, we ought not be thankful on this day. She wrote the following words. She said, we've all heard from any number of self-help research and books and podcasts and gurus that gratitude is a necessary embodiment to help us live fulfilling lives. But the truth is, sometimes gratitude just isn't possible. In the spirit of Festivus for the rest of us, in celebrating the anti-holiday to air grievances rather than pleasantries, I hereby name Thanksgiving grumps taking, whereby we allow ourselves to feel whatever range of negative emotions we feel like feeling without the pressure to proclaim all that we are grateful for. I don't think that anyone in here would hear the quote from that article and think to themselves, yeah, Allison's got it right. Go, Allison. I think we hear that and we think, that's just ridiculous. Grumps taking instead of Thanksgiving, grumps taking, we're just going to be grumpy. This sounds like the family member around the holiday table that you probably are trying to avoid. Sit really far away from them. They're at the other end of the table. You're going to be somewhere else. But despite the fact that we might not agree with this ridiculous hot take about Thanksgiving, I think we are all guilty of being a little grumpy sometimes. We're all guilty of not giving thanks. In many ways, I think that we're actually conditioned to ingratitude rather than gratitude. I'm reminded in my own life of the countless times that I forgot to thank someone for something that was a kind gesture to thank an individual for a simple service. I'm convicted on a day like Thanksgiving that I don't spend enough of my days actually giving thanks. And this morning we turn to a familiar book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. We turn to Psalm 138, where we read a psalm that King David wrote later in his life. And as we consider this psalm, the main takeaway that I have for you this morning is simply this, is we ought to give thanks to God for his character, for his care, and for his covenant promises. What are we going to learn in Psalm 138? We're going to learn just this, that we ought to give thanks to God for his character, for his care, and for his covenant promises. Now, when we open up to Psalm 138, we just have eight simple verses. And in these eight simple verses, it's really divided into three sections. One is just sort of point you to that before we get into the text. You see in verses 1 through 3, we kind of see this general declaration of thanksgiving. But then in the rest of the chapter, we're sort of given reasons for which we should be thankful. Verses 4 through 6 kind of give us a reason to be thankful. And then verses 7 and 8 are going to give us another reason to be thankful. That's how this text is broken down. So with that in mind, would you look in the scriptures with me and would you read along in Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8, the Word of God says this, Of David, 
I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The first of three points today comes in verses 1 through 3. We see this call or this command, this this thanksgiving with a whole heart. David begins this passage with the statement, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Now right there in the first line, we read, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Of course, that begs the question, what does it mean to give thanks with your whole heart? I think a lot of us here are well acquainted with the word thanks. But how many of us know what it means to give thanks with our whole hearts. If I were to say, jot down in your Bibles a definition of how that is different from just being thankful. What does it mean to give thanks with your whole heart? I think in this text, we see three particular things, three ways or three components of showing gratitude with your whole heart. The first is this. You see that Thankfulness with our whole heart is both a feeling and an action. Gratitude with our whole hearts is not simply a feeling without action. Do you see the the difference there? Thankfulness cannot be something that's just left in our minds. Thankfulness has to have some sort of outward expression. When we think about thankfulness, it's not just a feeling. If you were to simply feel thankful, that's great. But thankfulness with your whole heart means that you've got to do something with your thankfulness. What do, you, what do you do with your thankfulness? Sometimes it's simple. Maybe you just write a thank you note. Maybe you tell someone specifically how you're thankful for them. But there has to be some sort of action along with the feeling. And yet at the same time, this cannot simply be an action without feeling. You see how it requires both. I have three children, seven and under, and of those three children and in parenting them, I have learned many things. And one of the things I've learned is that you cannot force a toddler to be grateful. You can't force a small child to be thankful for something, no matter how much you reason with them. I tend to think I'm a logical person, and I can sit down, I can get on my son Judah's level, and I can say, son... I want you to know that this gift that I got you for Christmas came at great price. I had to work so many hours. 
I had to go to so many stores to find it. There was so, so much that went into this. And what would Judah do? He'd say, thanks, Dad. On to the next one, right? No gratitude, no thankfulness. And I want to sort of just grab him and say, be thankful. <laughs> Help me out here. Be thankful for something. You can't force thankfulness on a toddler, but you know what? You can't force thankfulness on anyone. Thankfulness is something that you've got to feel inside of your heart and act on in your life. That's what it means to be thankful with your whole heart. But not only that, it's a feeling and an action. But thankfulness with your whole heart also requires a recipient of the gratitude. We see that in our text, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But thankfulness with our whole heart also requires a recipient of our gratitude. Simply put, if there's no one to get the thanks, doesn't it seem a little ridiculous to give it? If there's no one to get the thanks, it seems a little ridiculous to give it. We can thank someone else for helping us with something. Thank you for helping. This morning, whenever our volunteers that showed up here a little bit before 7 o'clock to set everything up and make this room not as much of a gymnasium, we stood in a circle and we prayed for this gathering, and I just said, thank you for being here. They were the recipients of my gratitude. Hopefully they're the recipients of all of our gratitude this morning. You can thank God for things. And ultimately, as Christians, that's sort of where we see this played out. It's vital for us to keep a verse like Romans 8.28 in mind. God is working all things together for good for those who love him. So God is the one who's doing all of this. He's the one to which we direct our thanksgiving. He is the recipient of our gratitude. And that's why it's so very important to have an, a Christian understanding of life. G.K. Chesterton, a theologian, once wrote, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and yet has no one to thank. You see, every good gift comes from God. We're going to talk more about that and flesh that out in a moment. But do you believe that this morning? That God is to thank for everything that we have. He is the recipient of our gratitude. Thankfulness with our whole heart, it's a feeling and an action. It requires a recipient. And lastly, it also requires a conscious understanding of dependence. It requires a conscious understanding of dependence. Sam Crabtree, in his book, Practicing Thankfulness, which I read this week while preparing this sermon and would certainly recommend that book to you, he writes this. I don't think I've got it on the screen, so you have to listen. A mistaken sense of independence fosters ingratitude, and it hardens into a sense of entitlement and overweening pride and presumption. Independence is a lie. None of us is independent. You see, in our own culture... Independence and self-centeredness are seen as honorable, virtuous even. It's good to be independent. I forget the R&B singer who taught me how to spell independent, but there's a song about this. I-N-D-E-P-E, -E -E. you know what I'm saying? Okay. I won't go any, any further because it's not a good song. 
But we see our culture champion independence. It's a good thing to be independent, right? I am a, a self-made man, right? I'm a woman who's, who's built my life. Independence is a good thing. It's virtuous in our culture. But in the Christian worldview, when we read the Bible, we understand that there is no one on earth who is truly independent. In fact, if you study systematic theology, one of the attributes of God is that God is independent. Meaning that God is the only one in creation who is truly above all things and not dependent upon anything for his existence. Do you want to know how truly dependent you are? Think about the very air that you are breathing. Think about the distance that the earth is from the sun and how if God were to simply move angles, move the, the earth a number of miles, our entire existence would go up in flames. We are so very dependent and we don't even think about it. We don't think about our dependence. We instead, in our sinful foolishness, in our sinful ignorance, our culture, our world says we are independent. And that's such a good thing. It's all about me. Of course, as Christians, we understand that we are completely dependent upon God for many things. In fact, for all things. We're dependent upon him for salvation, for our sins being removed. We're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in life, to sustain us, to be our intercessor before the Father. We are dependent upon fellow church members to encourage us, to help us persevere through difficult times in life. You see, independence is a lie that the enemy wants to sell you. Independence and self-centeredness are contrary to the call of Christ. And ultimately what we see here is that thankfulness cannot coexist with self-centeredness. Gratitude cannot cohabitate with independence. It is impossible to be thankful and to be at the same time self-centered. Look again at the text with me. We see all three of these things. We see that thankfulness with the whole heart is something that's a feeling and an action. We also see that thankfulness with a whole heart requires a recipient and it requires a conscious understanding of dependence. Look in the text. David writes that he gives thanks to who? To God with his whole heart. He acknowledges God to whom he is thankful. God is the recipient of his gratitude. He writes of both a feeling of gratitude and actions of gratitude. Singing your praise. Feeling that in his heart as he sings. Bowing down toward your holy temple. He shows reliance upon God there in verse 3. You see what he says? My strength of soul, I increased? No, my strength of soul, you increased. I'm dependent upon you for the very strength of my soul. You see, thankfulness with a whole heart is a little bit more deep than just saying thanks. Thanks. You see, we use this word quite a bit in our daily lives. Oftentimes, I think it's uttered in some way to maybe just be polite, to maybe end a conversation. Maybe we say it to someone at a restaurant or a store. 
Most of us, you know, if you've traveled anywhere where they speak a different language, hopefully you learn thanks just in their language. It's a great way to end a conversation. It's a great way to be polite in another culture. Most of us know Spanish to some degree. When I travel to a place like Costa Rica, what would you say? Gracias. And that's my American accent with gracias, but there it is. Con mucho gusto. Thank you, right? When Caitlin and I traveled to Italy, we really didn't know much Italian, but we did know the word grazie. Again, terrible accent, but that's the word for thanks, and we knew it. When I traveled to Turkey, I hardly knew maybe five words, but you better believe the first word that I memorized was tashikilarsh, which means thank you. It's an important word for our daily lives. And while we might say this word often, I wonder if we use it more of a function in a conversation than we might use it as a true attitude of gratitude. I wonder how often do you practice thankfulness with your whole heart? How often do you experience both a feeling and an action with the recipient of your gratitude that displays a dependence upon God? We might say thank you a lot daily, but how often do we truly thank the Lord with a whole heart? You see, the opposite, have you ever thought about this? What's the opposite of thankfulness? The opposite of thankfulness is complaining. So perhaps a good self-diagnostic question would be this. How often do you find yourself complaining? That's a tough question, isn't it? I struggle with that question. It's a convicting question for my own heart. You see, I'm glad that when I drive home today, you guys won't be with me. Because I love to complain in the car about silly things, but I complain nonetheless. And you know what? I kind of think that some of y'all may do this too. How many of us complain about the driver in front of us? I prepared this sermon and thought about this illustration. And on the way to church this morning, as I got off exit 9... Going southbound, it's an exit where you can take your foot off the gas and just coast like down this massive hill. But when someone gets in front of you that's much slower and is riding the brake, it's like destroying my gas mileage. It's like, what are you doing? Gas is $4 a gallon, my man. Let's cruise down this hill together. What are you doing? And I found myself complaining. And I found myself thinking, ah, a better illustration in the sermon this morning. I find myself complaining in simple things like driving a car. But you know what? I'm also glad that you don't have a window into my soul to know how often I truly complain about some of the most silly things, some serious things. And I think if each and every one of us was honest with ourselves, we would know that in our heart of hearts, maybe we don't voice these complaints, but maybe we do allow them to creep into our minds and creep into our hearts and develop a seed of bitterness How often do you find yourself complaining, whether out loud or whether simply in the heart of your hearts? How many of us would actually admit that we do far more complaining than we do giving thanks? And perhaps this week, one of the most tangible ways that you can show your gratitude is to spend time in prayer with God. This text tells us, you see in verse 1, I give thanks to you, O God. What does it say in verse 3? For you have answered my call. The Lord is willing to listen to us. Perhaps one of the best ways for you to show your gratitude is to sit down this week with an open notebook and to simply write down a list of things for which you're thankful. 
and then pray to the Lord. How many times do we find ourselves asking God for things in prayer? God, can you help me with this test? God, can you help me at my work, get this promotion? God, can you help me with my health? Can you help me with this? Can you do this? Can you do this? How often do we just only have a prayer of thanksgiving? No petition, nothing else, but just praise God and thank God. Maybe this week you can simply spend five, ten minutes in prayer only thanking God. Maybe write a list of things for which you're thankful. By way of example, here's a few things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful to the Lord for my wonderful wife who loves me and who cares for me even when I really don't deserve it sometimes. I'm thankful for my children who are so beautifully unique, each one of them, who teach me so much about how God relates to us as father as I relate to them as a father. I'm thankful to the Lord for my church family. And I know that I'm a little biased because I'm one of the pastors here. But this is the best church I've ever been at in my entire life. And that's because of you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to the Lord for Terry Lee, for his faithful preaching, for the way that he leads our church. I'm thankful to the Lord for good friends who encourage me, who spur me on to faith and good works, who help me to persevere in this life. I'm thankful for the kindness of the Lord to offer me forgiveness and mercy even when I fall prey to sin and temptation. I'm thankful to the Lord for the way that he teaches me and he shapes me through any circumstance in life. I'm thankful for the trials and the hard times that come. Truly, I'm thankful for difficulty in life. As Spurgeon once said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I'm thankful for the very breath that I breathe that allows me to stand up here and to say that God is good in every circumstance. I could go on and on, but I wonder what would be on your list? What would be on your list as you write it out? In these first three verses, we see this amazing example of gratitude by King David. But what is it that causes this gratitude? Why should we be thankful our next two points answer this question. We ought to be thankful because of the character and care of God. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. The second point is this. Just the Lord is high, Yet he regards the lowly. King David mentions the kings of the earth will give praise. You see that there in verse 4? All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. This declaration is perhaps fulfilled in David's lifetime as he's an older king. Reflecting on God's faithfulness. Perhaps David is thinking back of when he saw the glory of God go out into the world. Where Rival kings would actually give thanks to God and acknowledge God. I think David has Psalm chapter 2 in mind when he's writing Psalm 138. Psalm chapter 2, David writes that the kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. And then David implores, he begs the kings in this psalm. He says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
And isn't it a grace that we see throughout David's lifetime, rival kings who were once rebellious to God bend the knee to the Lord Almighty. So that now as an older man, David sees this come to fruition. He sees all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O God. For they've heard the words of your mouth. Perhaps they heard Psalm chapter 2, this warning What a tremendous picture of grace that once rebellious people would repent and turn and give thanks to God. I think this is a glimpse of the gospel even in the Old Testament. We serve a gracious God who is steadfast in love, abounding in patience. The entire sentiment of all of this is summed up there in verse 6. Do you see it in the text? For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Verse 5 says that God's glory is great. But of course we have to ask ourselves, what makes His glory so great? What does that even mean? What does it mean for God's glory to be great? That's what verse 6 answers. Even though the Lord is high, even though God is unfathomably powerful and majestic, Even though God Almighty reigns sovereign above the entire universe, upholding the entire universe with the word of his power, even though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Do you sense this great contrast in the text? Have you thought about the magnitude of God? That he can speak the universe into existence. And that Colossians 1 talks about how he holds the entire world in his hand. He sustains all things by the word of his power. God is greater than your greatest thought of him. You cannot think a thought greater than God. For all of the creativity that we have to think, God is still greater than our greatest thought. That should terrify us, in a sense. That should make us tremble. But then verse 6 should sweep us off of our feet and show us comfort. Because even though the Lord is high, what does it say? He regards the lowly. And for me, someone who in the heart of my heart, I know that I am lowly. I know that I'm nothing special. I'm not glorious. For some of, someone who's lowly, that's good news. Whether you're an emperor, whether you're a king, whether you're a peasant, whether you're just here this morning and you just think to yourself, I'm a nobody. The grace of God is for those who understand that God is great and we are not. You see, true thankfulness requires humility. It requires being lowly. I wonder, would you consider yourself lowly? I think whenever we hear this text, right? The haughty, the prideful, God knows from afar. But he takes special care and concern for the humble and the lowly. I think all of us would would want to say, yeah, yeah, I'm humble, I'm lowly. I want to be humble, I want to be lowly. But do you truly have a spirit of humility? Or do you maintain a spirit of self-promotion, self-centeredness, self-glorification? 
Here's a good diagnostic question. How do you present yourself to others? Do you talk more about yourself in a conversation than you do someone else? Do you spend more time thinking about what you're going to say next about you than you do listening to the person that's in front of you? What does your Instagram look like? Does it look like a place for self-glorification? My life is so great and I'm so great. Do you look for opportunities to affirm others? Do you look for opportunities to build others up? Do you think of yourself less? You see, thankfulness requires an acknowledgement that everything we have ultimately comes from the provision and the providence of God. And that truth alone should inspire within us a sense of lowliness and humility. Nothing that you have was something that you gained by yourself. We are not independent. We always have someone to thank, even in life's greatest accomplishments. We see the call to thankfulness. We see that God's grace toward the lowly is the reason to be thankful. And in the final two verses of our text, we see another reason to be grateful. The Lord preserves our lives, and the Lord keeps His promises. The Lord preserves my life and keeps his promises. These final two verses of our text provide a promise that gives us hope even in the darkest moments of life. Look at verse 7. David begins verse 7 with the word, though, though I walk in the midst of trouble. I want you to, for a moment, imagine an older King David. He's looking back on his life. Though I walk in the midst of trouble. David knew trouble in his life, didn't he? He says, you preserve my life. But David was well acquainted with difficulty and heartbreak. Through no fault of his own, King Saul sought to kill him for many years at the beginning of his life because he was a threat to his power. So David was the target of attempted murder on many occasions. Not only that, David experienced the natural consequences of his own sin. He saw his own family torn apart through betrayal that would eventually lead to a split in the nation of Israel. He saw death of his own children because of his sin. And yet, amidst all of the heartbreak, David, as an older man, pins these words, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. David knew trouble well, but he also knew the Lord would preserve him. For many of us, we know trouble too. Sometimes trouble comes looking for you, and sometimes you go looking for trouble. Isn't that true? In this life, trouble will come in many shapes and sizes. Some trouble will be difficult, perhaps losing your job, failing that really important test, experiencing a setback in your career. Other troubles will seem truly unbearable. Hearing a really difficult diagnosis, whether for yourself or for a family member, experiencing betrayal, losing the life of a child, Still other trouble is brought about by our own sinfulness and rebellion before God. 
You see troubles all over the place. We're walking in a minefield of trouble in this life. And yet, through it all, Psalm 138 teaches us that amidst all of this trouble, God is preserving your life. Moment by moment, trouble by trouble, God is preserving your life. And amidst all of the pain that that trouble can bring to our lives, this text teaches us that God has a purpose for it all. In 1897, Johnson Oatman Jr. penned the hymn, Count Your Blessings. And I remember in my traditional Baptist church growing up, we used to sing this hymn. One of the verses says this. It talks about counting your blessings. The verse talks about even when life doesn't go your way to count your blessings. It says, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. If you really want to know whether or not you have a grateful heart, ask yourself, can I show gratitude in the midst of trouble? Can I thank God in every circumstance? Look at these last two verses, verses 7 and 8. Look at them together. Do you see how these verses intertwine, how they go together? Look at the text. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. You see, if we have an accurate understanding of God's character then we can live in a state of gratitude regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. This text reminds me so much of Romans 8.28. For those who love God, all things work together for good. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, Psalm 138 says. He preserves my life in trouble and his love for me endures forever. God is working all things out for your good and his glory which means that we can respond to any circumstance and any situation with thanksgiving and gratitude to God because we know that God has a plan for our lives. And sometimes it seems like His plan and His purposes are impossible to see and the fog of life sets in and the end that is out there, we know it's there, it's something that we can't see. We're blind to it. And we're left sitting in that terrible, awkward spot in life that so many of you find yourselves in this very day. You can't see the future. You know your desires in your heart. You know what you want for your life, but you just don't know how it's all going to work itself out. I think of the church members here who have family members who are dying. I think of close Friends and family members who have experienced death ever so recently. I think of people who are having a really, really hard time in life right now. One of the burdens of being a pastor is helping to carry your burdens and knowing what's happening in your life and weeping alongside of you. And for so many of you, I know life is not going according to plan. For so many of you, you know what you want in life and And they're good, godly things, but there's this fog in front of you. 
and you can't see ahead. What are you supposed to do? Trust in the Lord and show him gratitude. Call upon the Lord in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances and tell God, thank you. That's a mark of maturity. If you can get to a point in your walk with the Lord that you trust God more than the circumstances around you, that the fear, that the anxiety, that the sadness of life's circumstances, those things would pale in comparison to the magnitude and the glory of God and His sovereignty, that He's working all things together, that He's preserving your life right now, that the circumstance that you're thinking about in this moment, God has already planned it. He's already planned a resolution for it. And we know that God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it seems like this this is just meaningless. This suffering is meaningless. But we know that God has a higher purpose. And that even in the suffering, God is working for your good. What would it look like if the Oaks Church was known for its gratitude? What if we were known in our workplaces as the, that, I mean, that person just never complains? They've got so many reasons to complain, but they never complain. They're always so grateful. What if we sought to turn conversations, whether in our workplaces, with our, with our families, wherever you find yourself, what if we sought to turn conversations toward gratitude rather than complaining? It's so easy to complain. But how might the Oaks Church be a beacon of hope and thankfulness and gratitude in the midst of a complaining culture? How might the Lord work through you to reach your neighbors or your coworkers or your friends and family simply by you showing gratitude when things get difficult? How might our MCs and our friendships look different if we sought to be humble and lowly and put each other first? What if we resolved in our hearts to display a God-honoring gratitude even on our worst days? You see, even the most difficult days, even in the midst of the most trying days, you can be absolutely 100% sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, if you've given your life to Him, if you live for Him daily, that God is going to fulfill His purpose for you. And He has a purpose for every single one of us. Sometimes it seems like God may be far away or that He's not thinking of you, but this text tells us that He's got a purpose for every single one of us and He's thinking of you. You see, God has a way of taking the darkest days and bringing about his perfect plan. It may not always seem like hope is on the horizon. That fog of life may be in the way. But in God's kingdom, hope is always there. And no better picture of this do we see than in the way that God keeps his covenant promises to us in Christ. The Lord Jesus withstood trouble, persecution, and death so that his Father might fulfill his purpose for you. 
You see, what David could only dream of then, we see so clearly now that God preserves our lives. While David saw God preserving his life from King Saul through rival kings, we see that God preserves our eternal life through Jesus, his son. And the Father sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to come to this earth and to live the life that we could never live and to die the death that we all so deserve so that he might preserve your life. And now Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, delivers me from certain death. The Lord fulfilled his purpose for me in the midst of trouble when Jesus hung on a cross, showing the world once and for all that his steadfast love endures forever. There is no greater picture of God's grace and our gratitude that ought to be showed than the cross of Christ. And so because God has met our greatest need in Christ Jesus, we can be thankful in every circumstance. There's nothing that this world can do to us, no suffering, no trial, regardless of how awful it seems. The sufferings of this life are temporary afflictions. They won't last forever. But what will last forever is God's steadfast love and his kindness to us. And what will last forever, we read, is our thankfulness to him that we will sing about for generations and generations in eternity with God. We will show our gratitude. But might we begin that now in this place, in our lives, today. Let's pray.